coastal routes where you are walking literally on the beach at times and you can feel the ocean spray from the Cantabrian Sea south of England. You can also see in the Picos de Europa, those high mountains in northern Spain, you can see snow in the crevices of the folds of the mountain. When you actually get to Galicia and are approaching Santiago de Compostela, the landscape actually looks a lot like Ireland. It's this crumpled green surface that's full of life and nature and moisture. As you see crops growing in the fields uh, and appreciate, these are ready for harvest. These will be soon. I think that sense of terrain and the people who cultivate that terrain, folks who have worked this soil for thousands of years, know it well, have produced wines that complement those precise foods. Um, to, be in a situation where not everything is mass produced, where your food and experiences and climate surround you and saturate you. You feel at one, not just with your own body, with the planet itself. And I think there's something uplifting, something transcendent about that experience too. Welcome to Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. I'm Matthew Anderson. During this time of limited travel, a lot of us are missing the long-distance trails we love. For me, I've been keeping myself in shape uh, by walking up and down my staircase. While I do, I think about all the folks I've met and the paths I've trekked from Norway's peaks to the Treaty 4 and Treaty 6 territories of Western North America, or Turtle Island. I hope you'll come along. Maybe there's one of these trails that will tempt you as well. Today we're back on the Camino Francis, the route across the top of Spain that leads to the tomb of St. James in the city of Santiago. After making my first episode on the Camino, I realized I hadn't said that much to describe the way or its fabled history. So we're back with a second podcast about the route that so many people all around the world have walked and continued to love. Maybe you're one of them. My guests this podcast are again Professor Jen Chanka of Bishop's University Sherbrooke, Dr. Lee Pennock, President of the Canadian Company of Pilgrims, and Emeritus Professor George Greenia, founder of the College of William and Mary's Institute for Pilgrimage Studies in Virginia. 
George is the recipient of so many awards, it's difficult to name them all. Suffice to say for now that he is a co-founding member of the International Fraternity of the Camino de Santiago, and in 2007, in recognition of his promotion of Spanish culture, George was knighted by order of King Juan Carlos I of Spain. As a professional academic myself, most of the people I've hung out with, especially in Spain when I'm traveling to conferences and whatnot, are people like me, overeducated, um, impressed with ourselves, uh, world travelers. But on the Camino de Santiago, I can walk next to and, and converse with and learn from bank guards on a holiday, out of work dance instructors, mechanics, nurses who have left cancer wards in order to refresh and restore themselves. I've met spies, people who are in security work for the Spanish government. I've met cops. I've met college students. I've met the elderly who are taking stock of their lives. I've met survivors of cancer and people who have gotten the first diagnosis of cancer, but can still walk and want to while they can. All these folks, ordinary folks, common folks, folks from all over Spain and all over the world as we trudged along and compared backpacks and blisters and sandwiches for lunch. Um, I'd never get that anywhere else. Certainly not at your standard shrine site. You get to talk to people and sweat next to them and stumble next to them and learn from them. So the Camino de Santiago, every pilgrimage trail on it, is a chance to learn from others and people you might not talk to otherwise. In 2012, a year after my first attempt to walk the Camino with a cast and a cane, I went back. This time, I left with a video camera that was so new I unpacked it on the plane. I had great plans. I was to meet my son Daniel, who at that time was living in Europe, near the starting point for many Camino pilgrims in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, France. He and I would spend a few days together bonding while we walked, and he could help me carry some of my sound equipment. A great plan, right? Meanwhile, I wanted to film some of the hundreds who would be setting out on the way. I wanted to ask them one simple question. Why are you walking 800 kilometers? From their responses, I made a documentary titled Something Grand, which, by the way, you can view for free on my blog site, www.somethinggrand.ca. Again, www.somethinggrand, all one word, two Gs, .ca. When we arrived at the train station for Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, there were two tall, young German women standing in front of us at the ticket kiosk. We got talking and found out that Julia, or Julia, and Fita, or Frederica, were working in England at the time and had taken some time off to walk over the Pyrenees. They were smart, thoughtful, and delightful people, and happy to be interviewed. I turned on my mic and asked a few questions, and, as happened so quickly on the Camino, soon we were all fast friends. Hello, I'm Lee Pennock, and I'm the president of the Canadian Company of Pilgrims. The Canadian Company of Pilgrims is a non-denominational, not-for-profit volunteer organization, and we support English-speaking Canadian pilgrims who are interested in uh, walking or cycling or just 
learning about the pilgrimage routes that lead to Santiago de Compostela in Spain. And we have a sister organization, Du Quebec à Compostelle, that has a similar purpose for supporting Francophone pilgrims. We've got about 3,000 members in Canada, and we have 18 different chapters in cities across the country. The reason I was passionate enough about the Camino de Santiago to take on my position as the president of CCOP is that I really did come to appreciate what a transformative and enriching experience the Camino is for so many people. It's hard to describe, but you set out as a kind of a curious hiker and you arrive as a pilgrim. And when you get back home, you want to share the experience, you want to talk about your Camino. And there are all these people who are eager to hear about it because they want to do it too. I really didn't become aware of the organization until after I'd returned home from my first Camino, but it seemed like such a natural thing to get involved in. So I started by starting up a chapter in Saskatoon where I live, and then I joined the national board. And before I knew it, I was the president. I become very attached to particularities of landscape. So for example, in Portugal, there are a lot of eucalyptus trees and I just fell madly in love with them. And I felt, uh, I felt uplifted by them and embraced by them, you know, like the smell and the sound and the way that they feel under your hands when you touch the bark, cause it's so smooth and, um, the sounds of wind in the trees, uh, with their little crispy leaves. And it, to me, I felt like I was building, um, a, a very spiritual relationship with them. And so for me, that's what, that's what I mean when I say spiritual is a, a sort of, uh, like poetic interiority that I share with nature or, uh, the divine in nature, however you want to define that um and and very and very much experienced through the body's senses by the sounds of it yes very much uh i'm really affected especially by scent um and sound also because i'm kind of blind so uh (laughs) those things are really uh powerful senses for me do our memories really sharpen or is it that the years filter out some things so that others shine brighter. Those of you who have walked long distances will know that walking is a kind of a form of meditation. Mile after mile, faces, tastes, sounds, experiences bubble up to greet us and remind us not only of who we are now, but who we've been, and maybe different paths that still await us. That's what it's like for me now, remembering the Camino and looking back on it. That April, the Pyrenees portion of the Camino de Santiago was snowy, and in the lower altitudes, rain-soaked and freezing. It was just terrible weather for filming. But the pilgrims were warm and welcoming. As we passed through sodden and muddy Franco-Spanish villages, 
I found more than enough material for my documentary. The Camino is like a microcosm of the river of humanity. There was Kevin from Ireland, who had just tragically lost his brother. He told me that at the funeral, he and two friends decided to, to walk the Camino seeking the favor of the soul of the deceased. His buddies supported him, but also felt that part of the pilgrimage must, must surely be spent in the bars along the route, toasting Sean's memory. Mary and Miriam were dressed in Canadian red maple leaf clothing from head to boots. They were taking their time seeking the peace and quiet of the way, far away from their B&B business back in Ontario. Keegan was an American student on his way through Spain. To me, he looked a, a bit lost as he said that he felt a bit lost, not knowing exactly what he wanted to do with his life and hoping he might find some direction on the way. Kelly and Keitha were fellow Canadians celebrating their 40th anniversary by walking what they hoped would be 40 days on the Camino. But Keitha's feet took a turn for the worst almost from the first day. Roland was an athlete and an always smiling free spirit, delightful man. He could feel the lines of global energy and peace, he said, on the field of stars. And he made a habit of taking off his boots to soak up all that spiritual energy. Shannon, Christine, and Stephanie were three millennials seeking a break from the Starbucks and the frantic pace of downtown Vancouver and looking to see new things and new places to break out of old patterns. Charlotte from the States was traveling with her son, who was a bit suspicious of me, I think, in my mic. Charlotte told me, as far as I can figure it, you don't have to be Catholic. You don't have to be anything, just able to walk to be here. I'm hoping to lose some weight, maybe. Hans, an elderly and extremely fit German, barely had time to stop to talk to me. He was treating the Camino like an 800-mile marathon. I enjoyed meeting Bill from Prince Edward Island, who was looking for something to, as he put it, take me out of the comfort zone. Brendan from Ireland confided to me that he'd wanted to do something grand that year. Susan and Janice were walking pharmacies pretty much with their acetaminophen, glucosamine, and vitamin C. They were taking a break from high-powered careers, but not doing nothing. They were making it their business to help others all along the way. Melanie, in her 20s, looked a bit surprised to be asked why she was there. I think, she said, looking a little bit queerical, I, I think I'm running away. Running away from work and family just to get a sense of direction again. All of this and more, these stories, just one little snapshot of the river of life that flows continually on the Camino and that perhaps you know as well from your experiences. The origins of the pilgrimage to Santiago are lost in legend. We know that in the year 813, the tomb of St. James the Apostle, one of the disciples of Jesus, was rediscovered, some would say discovered, by a monk in the tiny Christian kingdom of Asturias. Under King Alfonso II and his descendants, and sponsored very heavily by the monastery at Cluny in France, James's bones became the third major site of Christian pilgrimage, after Rome and Jerusalem, and a rallying point for the long and bloody Christian military reconquest of the Iberian Peninsula. One of the miracles associated with St. James is that he appeared on a white horse by the side of the Christian armies, it is said, slaying the Moors. Many statues of this miracle can be found along the route, 
but it's hard to see the dying moors. In Santiago, they've been conveniently covered over with plastic shrubbery. The high point of the early Christian pilgrimage was in the 12th century, along the so-called Camino Francis, or French Way, which is still the most popular route. There was even a sort of medieval guidebook and musical score for the pilgrimage titled the Codex Calixtinus, full of helpful advice on how to avoid robbers and snide comments about the locals. The pilgrim route declined drastically in the 19th and 20th centuries, but since the 1980s, with several best-selling travel books and its own Hollywood movie, the Santiago pilgrimage has regained massive numbers of new pilgrims. These days, few of the walkers to Santiago know much about the bones of St. James. If someone were listening to this and said, oh, you know, I've never been on the Camino de Santiago, but I, I'd like to go, what would be uh, your sort of 15 seconds of advice, the one thing that you think somebody should should know before they set out somewhere on one of those many trails towards Santiago? There's wonderful resources on the web and lots of former pilgrims who are would love to tell you about their experiences. So before you leave, read everything you can get and then leave it all at home. Go over with a sense of providentialism. God will provide for you. The Camino will provide. Your fellow pilgrims will provide. You will get lost, lose some things you thought were important. Maybe someone will give them back because they found them or you drop them on the trail. More likely, you'll realize that you lost something and figure you really don't need it. And besides, Spain in particular is a thoroughly modern country. If you lose your shampoo, you can buy more shampoos. This year, we conducted a survey about how the pandemic has affected Canadian pilgrims' plans to walk the Camino. The survey told us a lot about our members' hopes and dreams and fears. We had over 500 people respond to the survey. And one surprise was that over half of them had a Camino interrupted or cancelled this year because of the pandemic. Almost 80% of the people who responded had already walked one or more Caminos. And many of them said that as soon as a va vaccine was developed, they would definitely go back and walk another one. And a third of them said that even without a vaccine, they're planning to go back in 2021. A lot of them are thinking about alternative routes, either in a different country, such as Italy, or perhaps less popular Caminos in Spain and Portugal, where there aren't as many walkers. Their concerns were around things like whether travel insurance will be available, whether quarantining will be necessary when they travel, and whether dormitory-style accommodation will still be possible. It feels to many of them that the traditional way of walking and the sense of communal life on the Camino is going to be threatened by all the new rules and regulations and precautions that need to be put into place. There was another strong and I think very Canadian theme, which was a note of concern for all the people and the businesses along the Camino that have been affected and continue to be affected by the pandemic. Several respondents suggested ways that we as Canadian pilgrims can and must be respectful visitors and ambassadors when we return to the towns and villages along the Camino. And many of them wanted to know how we could help those struggling businesses. All in all, the survey was really gratifying and uplifting. 
If you'd like to know more about the Camino de Santiago, have a look at my documentary. You can find it under the video and radio tab at www.somethinggrand.ca. Check out the website for the Canadian Company of Pilgrims as well. Or, if you're in the States, the American Pilgrims on the Camino. Or elsewhere, the Fraternity of St. James. There are probably Camino walkers somewhere near you right now who would be happy to share their stories and give some advice on how to prepare. Once in Santiago, after completing my trip, I saw a woman whom I overheard from a phrase or two. I, uh, I realized that she spoke English as well. So I asked her the usual question, where did you start? And she told me, you should really ask me when I started. It turned out that this woman of a certain age had been walking continuously for a year and a half. She had come from Australia. She decided the kids are fine. The grandchildren are fine. I can walk and I really want to walk just to enjoy myself, my health, why I still have it. So she walked for a year and a half. And when I find her in Santiago, after a bit of conversation, she confessed to me that she had done something truly weird that day. And that weirdness for her was on her way home, Kids had told her, Mom, it's time to come home. It's been a year and a half. The grandkids are growing up. She was on her way home, and she did something totally weird for her. She went out and bought women's clothes. She had spent a year and a half in the unisex uniform of the walking pilgrim. It turned out that as a camera person, I was a rank beginner. But the wonder that appeared before my eyes was that despite my inexperience, there was such exquisite splendor in the audio and the video that, that year. Of course, it helped that the Pyrenees and the French-Spanish border region is so beautiful. But so were the people. Whether it was the young Irish woman wondering about changing her job, or the Canadian who decided that the Camino would be better than India this time around or the young man bringing his elderly Mexican father to find the land of their ancestors. The stories I heard were of a deep, vividly lived humanity. The pilgrims told me again and again about a connection they all wanted, a connection we often forget in our daily lives. There was a, a seeking in their stories, but, but also a kind of a joy and an expectation, a patience with each other, at least for that brief time, an interest in each other, and beneath that an openness that must have come from the realization that the path is the thing, and that when we walk it, we become, despite ourselves, temporarily family. From what I can tell, that's the magic that brings so many people back to the Camino de Santiago again and again. Maybe it's a magic that you've felt. Is there one thing that we've forgotten in the conversation that maybe you'd like to point out about the Camino de Santiago, something special that you would want people to know? Well, many people do this walk and invest their time and energy and, and resources to do it. They get to Santiago and they're not sure why people came there in the first place. Uh, what was the goal? Santiago is a not a, a, it's a gorgeous city. It's not a monumental city. It's no New York. Um, and people wonder critically in a modern age, well, it's supposed to be the burial place of St. James the Apostle. Is he really there? In a sense, 
it doesn't matter. It's not a tomb, it's a lens. And if it brought people into focus about their faith, about their sense of community, about their responsibility of charity toward one another, either a companion of the trail or where they're received along the way, I think Santiago as not a tomb, but a lens actually brings faith into focus. Take time to reverence and appreciate what people have brought with them, what they're laying down on completion of their journey, what they hope to take home as their primary souvenir. And that souvenir will be documents, will be a certificate, will be photos, but it's going to be memories of human contact that they have not been able to enjoy in the same way in another context. So make it to Santiago, savor that moment, and think about what you take home with you. That's really nice. It's not a tomb, it's a lens. And I, I can certainly hear in the way you talk about the Camino de Santiago, the, the, uh, the memories of human contact and the, the ways that other lives have, have interacted with yours and helped form you um, as the person you are, the pilgrim you are now. So thank you, uh, George Greenia, um, an expert in pilgrimage and a pilgrim. And, um, and thanks for just talking about the human contact all the way through that trail and making it, uh, making it come alive for us, for me. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you very much. Thanks to Jen Chanka, George Greenia, and Lee Pennock for their words this episode, and to James Anderson for my podcast theme music, which I love. Thanks also to the Concordia University Part-Time Faculty Association, or CUPFA, for funding that trip I took to make the documentary something grand. I'm Matthew Anderson, the Staircase Pilgrim, and I look forward to seeing your next episode of Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. By the way, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate the podcast as it really helps it to be seen by others. Thanks. See you next time.